Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. So exciting that there's all these newcomers tonight. Um, my name is Melissa C. I have recovered from compulsive overeating and from a hopeless state of mind and body. Um, and um, so, yeah, today is like a super exciting day for me. It is, um, it's eight years that I completely, um, really just had it removed. The desire to eat was removed. And um, eight years ago, I, um, I reached a point of absolute desperation. You know, I had been in OA before. I had had a number of years of abstinence and working on recovery and but i i had like one foot in sometimes and one foot out you know and which basically left me in like a really uncomfortable position right that i was always falling and eight years ago i um i just was done and really i would say a miracle happened for me i walked into a store I had no intention of asking for help that particular day. Although the day before that, I was, I was crying in my car and I did cry, God help me. I'm in, I'm in trouble, help me. And I do believe that God launched a rescue for me. You know, I walked into Lowe's homes, you know, like to, to my husband was gonna do a home repair. I walked in the store and the only way I could describe it was I saw a woman who I knew meant business. She was someone I knew from my local meeting who years earlier, I'd asked her to temporarily sponsor me while my sponsor was away. And I didn't like her feedback when I went to like tell her something that I was going to do with food or she just said, oh, yeah, no, I, no, 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 we don't do that. And I was like, oh, forget it. I will never call that woman again. She's way too rigid, way too rigid, way too serious. That's not the that's not the kind of OA I want. I want the OA light. You know, give me the light version. And but you know what happened for me that day? That woman was the one who I saw in that home. You know, in that home repair place. And what I can say is that uh, my body was walked over by my feet. That's all I can say. Like I did not normally I would have ducked down another aisle because I had put on weight and I never want to see people who I knew from away when I was heavy. You know, what would that be? I always wanted to come back to a meeting victorious. Right. I never wanted to come back in dire need. And um, but by the way, nobody ever comes back having walked out. No one ever comes back better. Right. We always come back worse. So but my feet walked my body over and my mouth opened up and I asked for help. And I took it, you know, I took it. And, and that was eight years ago. So today's really just a special day for me. Um, and and, you know, if you're new here, part of my story is I've released over 160 pounds. So I'm I don't physically look like that woman anymore either, you know. Um, and, uh, so, okay. So now I'm going to talk about the topic, which is sponsorship. And the last time we were together, I gave the first part of it and I kind of left off with this section of interaction on page 88, 
with the statement that faith without works is dead. So I can have all the faith in the world, but if I don't do the work, that faith will leave me nowhere. And the way that I had described it in the last setting was, I have a car in my garage. I'm pretty faithful that my car will get me to work tomorrow morning. But if I don't get in the car and put the key in the ignition and fill the tank with gas, I'm going nowhere, right? So, um, all right, so now we're on to this part two, which is page 90. We're gonna talk about when we discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, for, for OA. Um, we're given directions as, as potential sponsors for new people. Our job initially, it says on page 90, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, stop compulsive eating, don't waste your time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. So how do I know that somebody doesn't want to stop? Right. Well, generally, I would say if people are at a meeting, if you're here tonight, I would say you want to stop more than likely, unless this is a social gathering for you. And sometimes meetings are like that. Sometimes people just kind of like to get together and they like to talk. But most of the time when people would pick up the phone and call me, they do want to stop. But I've also I've heard people say things like, well, maybe I don't want it bad enough. And I think they're getting some misunderstanding thinking that because they haven't been able to put it down, that means that they don't want it. And that we also know that powerlessness means that when you really want to, you find you cannot, right? So this is not talking about people who find that they cannot put it down, right? This is talking about people who, who don't want to. It, so here's an example. Um, my, I have a friend of mine who wanted me to talk to her daughter because her daughter had put on a lot of weight. And my friend said, do me a favor, call her up. Just call her. And I'm like, hmm. Does she want to talk to me about this? No, but work it in the conversation. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. That is not, that is like the, first of all, that's, that is exactly how you spoil a later opportunity. That's the exact way. Because if I make the approach, if I come on to someone else who didn't ask for help, um, my experience is I ran away from those people, right? And so we don't, we don't come after people like that. Um, but if we do get an idea, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get an idea of his behavior. So if we find out that someone does want to stop, we should ask them some questions to find out their behavior, their problems, their background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself in his place. So early conversations, when people call and they say, you know, I need help. You know, my first conversations, the first thing I ask them is, so how is this disease showing up for you in your life? What does it look like? You know, I wanna know, are they obese? 
right? And I might say, are you overweight? Or I might find out if they're bulimic, right? Like I wanna know as much as I can about their food and their food behaviors. I also wanna know what problems are you coming into? You know, um, to sort of find out where they are, you know, how desperate are they? How beaten are they? And I, and I wanna know their background. Not because if we don't have the same background, we can't work together, but it'll sort of help me know how I can speak to them, what things I can talk about, you know, what things, if I talk to someone and they've got, you know, little kids, well, I can talk about how I used to eat all my kids' snacks that I bought for the week, you know, on, on the day I would go shopping for it. And then in the morning, I would have to scramble around and try to piece something together, right? So we want to find out their background so we know what stories are going to be helpful. And we also want to know about their religious leanings. We want to make sure that the way that we are speaking of God is not going to shut them out or offend them, right? Um, and we can work with people who have different you know, religious affiliations than us. It's it's not a requirement to have the same religion. Sometimes it if people do like it, sometimes that's a you know a good way for them to have a common language together. But I want to find out how I can put myself in that person's place. Okay, page 95 says he should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly. Let it go at that. So when we start these early conversations with people, and what I like to do is, I like to just have a, a chat, just a basic chat. I like how Janet says it's the Starbucks conversation. You know, it's the conversation I would just have casually um, with no pressure, I'm not putting any pressure, just getting to know a person. And today, you know, through this virtual world, I do it via Zoom. I say like, jump on this Zoom call with me and let's have a little chat. Let's just get to know each other a little bit. Um, and I'll ask them a lot of questions, right? Um, now, if the person says to me, um, yeah, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go back to Weight Watchers or I've got this other plan or I have a friend who sells this product and I'm gonna try it, or I'm gonna to go to this meeting, or I'm gonna to go to this group. I don't ever, it's never my job to discourage somebody from trying everything they wanna try. In fact, if they say that they've got another idea, I say, great, and not even sarcastically. I really say like, that sounds great. If you think it's gonna work, go do it. Like definitely try it out. Um, and hey, if it doesn't, like call me, I'll still be here. Or even if it does work, like we, we could be friendly. We don't have to, just because you might go down a little different road doesn't mean that I can't be kind 
and friendly to you. Um, you know, and what, what I think is really beneficial about that is if later on they decide that that other thing that they sought out and tried doesn't work, well, they don't have to come back like, you know, like, like um, eating crow, basically, to speak to me again. It's not like they have to hang their head in shame and say, yeah, I know you told me so. You told me this wasn't going to work. And, you know, no, like we don't, I don't tell anybody that it's not going to work. First of all, what do I know? right? We don't know. We have no monopoly on God. The only thing that I have is what worked for me. That's the only thing we have as sponsors, as, as the book, a relationship with God, and what worked for us to get that relationship. Okay. Um, page 96, it says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again you are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. So we want people who are desperate. Desperate people accept it with eagerness. Desperation is a prerequisite for recovery. And if the person doesn't respond, you're working with someone, I've had this. You might go through the doctor's opinion with them. You might give them some preliminary assignments. You might be working with them. You might have had many conversations with them and they're not responding. They're not really, they're not interested and they're not really responding. We're supposed to search out someone else to help. And why? Well, first of all, if we chase after that other person, we might be preventing them from reaching a point of real desperation. And the other thing is, is that we're not availing ourselves to someone who's ready to recover. So we're denying that person an opportunity. There's only so many hours in a day. All right, so here's what happens a lot. This is what I see happening. People go sponsor shopping. They do a lot of sponsor shopping, right? And people ask around and oftentimes, to find the easiest way. That's what it was like for me. I wanted, like, I wanted the easiest possible way, the way that wasn't gonna ask me to do very much at all. Um, the way that they feel is going to fix them, right? I came with like, here's what I need. This is what I need from you. And they decide that they know what they need. You know, um, I yeah, get to know the person, of course. Ask them questions listen to them. If they've got another idea, wish them well. Don't try to convince anyone. I don't argue. Here's what I say as a sponsor, don't argue and don't negotiate. This is not a negotiation process. I've had many, many sponsees who decided they weren't interested, really, or that they had a diet in mind. That's happened to me a lot. And I've had a few sponsees who started up with me and then they feel a little better, you know, in a week or so. And then they decide, yeah, you know what? You have too many expectations. You have too many rules. It's too difficult. I don't want to do it that way. And um, this isn't going to work for them. Right. And they want to do it another way. 
sometimes they seem, I say sometimes they seem to kind of want me to go along with this other way. They want me to still be their sponsor, but they're going to do it their way, you know, the, the lighter way. And, and I tried that too, you know, no, no, um, no disrespect. I don't mean anything against people because that's what I tried to, um, you know, and what I find is, okay, they, they, they want me to go along on this ride with them where they get to do it their own way. And I just sort of get to be there. I don't know, watching them do it their own way. And that's not a sponsor. That's not a guide. You know, they, so sometimes what people say is, oh, they want to commit their food to me, but they don't want to do anything else. They're not really doing anything else or else they don't want to commit their food or even discuss their food. You know, and I've been told that I'm too focused on food and abstinence, or I've been told that you have too many requirements. And that might be right. That's right. That might be right. Like, I wouldn't argue if somebody says that to me. No worries. So if you're a sponsor and you're offering what worked for you, and the person you're offering it to says, yeah, you've got, you expect too much of me, don't argue with them right? Just agree. You're right. What I say is, um, you know, you, there's no guarantee that if you do it some other way, you won't recover. You absolutely can, but you won't recover with me because this is the only set of experiences that I have to offer. And that's what we offer as a sponsor. We have what worked for us. Right. So if it got me into a relationship with God and it got me to a point where I'm happy, joyous, free, right, recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, if I'm there today, then this is all that I have to offer you. Right. Um, but in any event, leave things friendly, leave it friendly. I'm always grateful to know where they stand, right? Where a person stands when we've gotten started, if they don't want it, right? And sometimes, you know, it's not really how it goes with people. They start and then they kind of disappear. That happens too. And if you're a sponsor and you've been, my daughter calls it ghosted. I never, I didn't call it that growing up. I called it like, you know, um, blowing me off. That's what I thought. They blew me off. But my, my daughter says it's ghosted. You ghosted me. Okay. So if someone ghosts you, um, it's okay. Like when they decide that, that they want to like reappear, I'm still friendly. We're still supposed to be friendly and to not take it personal because remember, we're talking about people who are sick, just like me with symptoms of selfishness. The selfishness is the root. So the symptoms of that is inconsiderate, right? So not necessarily telling me, yeah, I'm not, I'm not calling you anymore. They just don't, right? And that's, you know, oftentimes people who are, who are selfish and insecure and inconsiderate. Okay. And in any event, we're still friendly. We're still nice. On page 58, here it says in how it works, if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, 
then you're ready to take certain steps. And on page 42, the first paragraph, it says, two of the men of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede on both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Okay, so these guys were grinning, right? Because he finally seemed like he'd been beaten into a state of reasonableness. And they knew that they had an answer. That's why they were smiling. Because they, had, they were seeing someone who had the prerequisite of desperation. Not that they were sadistic and liked people, you know, who were sad and desperate, you know, and I have to say that when someone is really desperate, I do delight, not because I want to see people in agony, but because I know that it's at that point when they might be ready to surrender. You know, and the two questions suggested, do you think you're an alcoholic, right? So we asked them, do you believe that you're a compulsive overeater? And two, are you out of ideas and desperate? And if the answer is yes, okay, we don't cheer them up. We're not supposed to say, oh, it's gonna get better. Now that you've told me you're desperate, now that you told me how bad it is, don't worry, everything's gonna be better. Mm -mm, we don't do that. In fact, we're supposed to drive home the point that they're really hopeless. We're supposed to actually pile on heaps of evidence from our own experience. You know, we give experience, stories of our experience, we tell them our stories. And I usually, for myself, as you know, I do this through the doctor's opinion. It's a great way for me to start like weaving in my experiences. So I'll sit with the person and I go through the doctor's opinion with them. This is now when someone says that they are interested, right? And for me, that's like the first formal work that I do with a person. And, and in that work, I explained what it is that I have, what I'm suffering from. And the doctor's opinion specifically spells out my, my symptoms. And it also spells out my solution. And at this point, I would say a person does not need to be abstinent at this exact point. If they are, awesome. But I can have these early conversations. Now I know there's other people who say, go get three days and then call me, right? But I'm gonna say in these early conversations where we're still having a person determine, are they really, really willing and desperate and ready? Um, I ask them to set aside at least an hour. Sometimes it takes two. And they should come ready with a highlighter, a pen, a notebook, and we go through the work together. And then afterwards, here's what I ask. Well, I go through the requirements for continuing. 
and I ask them, are you a compulsive overeater? Do you believe you're a compulsive overeater? Two, are you desperate? And then I pile on those cases out of my own experience of the hopelessness of this condition. My job is to snuff out the idea that the person can do it alone. Once they agree to this, then once the person says, okay, you're right, I can't do this on my own, then you're to spell out and, and outline the spiritual answer. And why is that? Well, think about it. If a person is not convinced that they have this, why would they go through all that hard work, right? It's like, if you found out, you know, if you go to the doctor and he says, you know what, I want you to come next Tuesday for chemotherapy, but you don't have any idea that you have cancer. Why would you go for chemotherapy? You know, or, or, or any kind of treatment program. So a person does not just decide, hey, you know what? I think maybe I wanna go through the 12 steps. Oh, I don't know that I have a problem, but it might be fun, right? No, it's when we're beaten down and desperate, then we spell out the spiritual solution for a person. And we ask them, are you willing to go to any length? And at that point is where I lay out my non-negotiables, the things I won't negotiate. Um, I don't make exceptions. I require my sponsees to do what I do, right? If I can do it, so can they. There's nothing special about me in terms of taking action. Um, and if they give reasons why they can't, I don't debate. No debating. I let them say whatever they want to say, and then I wish them well. So if somebody says, yeah, I can't do that. I, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I, and I, yeah, that won't work for me. And I find that, you know, when I've done this, that doesn't work. And sometimes you get that. And I just say, as a sponsor, your job is to listen, let them say whatever it is they want to say. And then I've said this, I've said, okay, um, you, you know, this is my set of directions. This is the only way that I can recover. This is the only way that I recovered. And, um, and you're, you know, hopefully you can find another way. So for me, you know, what are my non-negotiables? I have certain meeting requirements. I'll, you know, I'll spell it out. I've got, um, I have home meetings that I consider my home meetings. And just like in person, you know, if you lived in my town, I would say to you, yeah, I want you to come to my home meeting. I want to see you at my meeting. So it's the same thing here. I, I have specific meetings that I listen to that I like people to listen and participate in. Um, I want people to make three phone calls a day. You know, that's, that's what I suggest. At least three phone calls a day. Um, they commit their food. They have a food plan and they follow it and they commit it. Um, there's certain assignments, whether it's reading and writing assignments that they do, and that they're supposed to be actively working on it daily. I discussed this hospitalization period with people, what it would look like for your early recovery to be in a, now it's not a formal treatment. I want to be clear. It's not, I don't tell people that they have to go into a treatment facility. 
but um, we had discussed before this idea of the hospitalization period. So it's a period of time where there's a lot of tight parameters and help and structure and guidance and the removal of certain distractions like dinners out for the most part, right? Um, and some other extra things that should just kind of be removed and working on your recovery. Um, and so, you know, why are these my set of directions? Because it's my experience, it's what I have to offer. Um, you know, I, I work with a person in the beginning to help them define their abstinence, to help them figure out what their food plan is. If they got it, something from a nutritionist, excellent. Sometimes nutritionists have a waiting list and people are ready to start now. I can absolutely help people. I'm not a, I am not a diet doctor. I'm not a nutritionist, but we all have a lot of good information that we could help people in a reasonable manner, you know, um, eat in agreement in healthy ways. Um, I tell people like that they commit it, not report it. Committed food plan means that before you're going to eat, it's written down and it's given over and then you eat that way. Um, assignments are done daily, you know, and it's not convenient, you know, um, but my understanding is this is a program for people who've tried every other method. And it's for people who are pretty sure that they're dying. And if you're not convinced that you're in the grip of a progressive and fatal illness, I'm probably not the sponsor for you. I know sometimes people are, they want to kind of go through the steps again and they want extra support. And that's awesome. That's great. Super. I tend to want to work with people who are in the grip of the disease who needs somebody now, right? Um, I So yes, I ask people to attend my home meetings, to call three recovered people day, a day, and I share my phone numbers. And I would say as a sponsor, anybody who calls me and asks me for help, I make it very clear to them that this is a two-way street, that if they get well, their number is, is should be able to be offered up to other people. We are a community, we are a fellowship. This is a we program. And so, by the way, that's not anonymity. Anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public forms of communication. Now, I'm not disclosing what one person tells me to another, but when I get a new prospect and a new sponsee, and they say, I've made so many phone calls and nobody's picking up. I've got tons of people. You're probably among them, my friends that are here, right? I have tons of numbers of people who I know mean business. And if they get a call, they're calling back or they pick up their phone. So I give new sponsees those numbers. You know, I give those numbers and I make it clear that if, if you called me, and you feel comfortable reaching out to me, then I should certainly have the ability to give your number to others if I believe that you could be helpful for them. And I also feel very strongly that um, 
that my number is free to be given out for people in Overeaters Anonymous who mean business, right? Who want help. Um, you know, we've got different ways that we like to go through, you know, the steps. I myself, um, you know, the materials that I use, I use the big book as the anchor text. That's the main text of what I use. Um, but I also use some support materials, which is the um, the AA 12 and 12. I do a lot out of the AA 12 and 12 and some out of the OA 12 and 12. And I find, especially for the brand new person to Overeaters Anonymous, the OA 12 and 12 offers a set of language that makes it more palatable, makes it more understandable for many people. So I, I am not a big book like snob where everything else is off the table. I do look at other literature that's that's OA approved too and other outside literature as well. Um, you know, I do a combination of materials that I've gotten from many different sources. Um, I like to read with sponsees, but I also like to give sponsees podcasts to listen to, which frees me up to work with other people as well. You know, in the chapter, working with others page 103 it says we are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone so a spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity we would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem, but we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. Okay, so we're not anti-food, we're not anti-eating, we're not, we're not the anti-sugar brigade. We're not the anti-white flower brigade. Um, I'm not anti-anything, right? I've seen many compulsive overeaters seem to have common problems with common foods, but my our platform is not to be witch burners, to say like, never, ever, ever have that. Like it's, it's um, you know, and, and the other thing I wanted to say is that we should never be bitter or hostile. As a sponsor, if you're bitter and you're hostile, you're coming from a position of fear and nobody gets well from fear, right? In fact, if fear would have been enough for me, the first time that I was afraid of the consequence of the scale of getting caught, right? Of eating someone's food and getting caught, I never would have done it again. So fear didn't work. And in my recovery journey, I had some scary sponsors, mean people, right? Who were, now it wasn't that they had guidelines and structure and discipline, but they actually had a, had a mean disposition. They weren't nice to me. And you know what happened? When I picked up the food, I never called them again. I disappeared. And it actually kept me away from getting help. So we're not supposed to be 
bitter and hostile because we're gonna we're gonna sour people to this program. Um, I'm looking at the time because there's a lot, and I don't know whether if I we're coming to the to the end of this point. I don't want to uh, rush. I'm gonna stop at this point, Janet, and I'll pick up. Okay. Thank you.